You are listening to Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. The following podcast may contain explicit material. You have been warned. Flying towards a setting sun in a Honda Accord of Gold. The AC stringing against the funk because our socks and drawers are old. On the 105 for an afternoon drive, whizzing by the freeway flora. In the passenger seat is my best friend Pete, a fat man in a fedora. Breaker 1-9, this is Drekdar the Dark. I was momentarily detained in the hotel entrance, fat beard. The valet was trying to charge me an exorbitant fee. It appears we have ourselves a game con. Yeah, we got ourselves a game con, playing for four days straight. We got ourselves a game con, our hygiene it can wait. We got ourselves a game con, our games after fun. And we'll be playing all the night. Till the morning sun. Thank you for joining us for Season 16, Episode 1 of Happy Jack's RPG Podcast. My name is Stu. This is Bill. This is Stork. And I'm Scott. And Scott. Scott. Scott Kurtz. Yay! Oh, you want my full name. And I'm Scott Kurtz. <laughs> <laughs> we, we won't edit it, though. That's uh, that's just going to be seamless. Yeah. No, no editing. That's editing fine. is yeah, for the week. <laughs> It's for the week and the people with a lot of time. As George Lucas showed us with episode one. Why edit? <laughs> yeah. No. See, I'm scarred no, from watching it. Pardon? George Lucas was like, you know what they say, preserve all your babies. No, it's kill your babies, George. It's kill your darlings. No, it's keep all your darlings, preserve your darlings, more darlings. No, no, no. Kill your babies is episode three. Wait for it. Don't spoil it. <laughs> I think he killed his babies but kept them in jars on a shelf for years. I, I think them. that if you watch the DVD commentaries and the special features of episode one, uh, everyone that works for Lucas, it's like that Twilight Zone episode where all the adults are being terrorized by the omnipotent kid. And it's like, no, it's a good thing what you did, George. It's a good thing what you did. Maybe we don't need a third wing on this. What? Uh, please don't send me in the cornfield. I always figured right off camera there's a guy with a gun pointing it at their heads. talking. <laughs> I killed them. I killed them all. Oh. Not just the men, but the women, the women and, and the children. children. Why I, didn't he win Oscar? I hate them. Well, I know why I didn't yes. win Oscar for that one. Someone, someone posted a picture of, uh, it's from New Hope, when Ben is giving Luke the lightsaber. He's like, this was your father's lightsaber. He murdered children with it. <laughs> it's like, oh. Right. I knew your father during the Clone Wars. It was a little shit, <laughs> and uh, it didn't listen. Oh boy! I I really like the. I mean, we we joke about this. We joke about this all the time in our Star Wars games. But just seeing it, when he's like, Anakin, don't I have the high ground? <laughs> yeah, what? what you is that? don't stand a chance. It's like you guys can jump like eight stories in the air. Fuck the high ground. <laughs> Apparently, having the high ground can completely nullify all Jedi power. Oh yeah, and obviously, obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that, that actually comes up in our. It came up in our Star Wars game. We do actual plays uh, podcasts yeah, of that. Stats on that. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, it's like a plus, a plus ten, I think. To oh, having higher ground? high ground. Oh yeah, I have the high ground. Yeah, 
I'm going to make sure I do that all the time now. That's I'm right. Gonna every time get I'm going gonna, gonna to stand on a box. I have the high ground, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just carry a box around in the battle. <laughs> I have the high ground. Completely nullifies their powers. I'm set. <laughs> I have the high ground. <laughs> That's so dumb. I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, they. the thing is, the battle leads up to that. They are fighting on Mustafar. They're fighting in, like, Volcano Island right. everywhere, battling, fucking jumping from burning shit onto things that are about as big as, like, a, a seat cushion. <laughs> yeah, and they're fighting, and then finally, when when Obi-Wan jumps off on the and gets onto some actual solid ground, and and Anakin is still on the floating thing, and now, that's when he's like, oh, yeah, I have the high ground. Like, it's like, you guys have been fucking Cirque du Soleil lightsaber fighting. <laughs> now him jumping off that thing onto solid ground, oh, that obviously is it. That's, That's the, the game changer. I, I cannot stand the Mustafar battle because no one in Hollywood, everyone says, well, no one in Hollywood knows how computers really work. I agree, but the bigger crime is no one in Hollywood understands how lava works. <laughs> lava, <laughs> lava is very dangerous and deadly, prior to you touching it. Like, it makes a wall of heat that would prevent you from touching it. Right. You might die before you get close enough to it. Especially hovering on a little metal droid above it. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be vaporized. Like, like, Anakin's on that beach, and he's like, don't worry about the higher ground. His clothes would be catching fire <laughs> just from that proximity to that much lava. Yeah, the air around it is probably 2,000 degrees. No, yeah, he's burning his, searing his lungs. All of his hair is gone. And, and, like, what he should be saying is, I can't believe you're standing. How is this possible? <laughs> well, we were, we were watching it, and, and amongst the, the... it's I love watching... I mean, well, Star Wars is more space fantasy than science fiction, right? So you have to make that... Right. just to shut that off first. But... Uh, Elspeth is very much like I'm the Star Wars guy and she's Star Trek girl and she's much more hard science based for sci-fi and she knows you just have to shut that off but at one point we're, they're on Mustafa and she says it just seems like a poor choice of planet to set up some kind of like manufacturing facility yeah <laughs> as they've well, got the shit Empire like hovering <laughs> over lava and it's like that doesn't seem like that would work out very well the Ocean Empire is notorious for that the Emperor is really bad about that it's like, are you sure you want to put this on the lava planet? Like, Why not? And then it's like, are you sure you want to put your chambers at the top of the reactor core? <laughs> What's the worst that could happen? Well, what if you, like, fall or someone throws you down there? I'm the emperor who's going to throw me down the reactor. Who's going to do that? The worst lava offense is in the movie Volcano. When Los Angeles... I don't know if it was... There's two Volcano movies. I don't know if it was Volcano or... I think Tommy Lee Jones was in it. Oh, but a volcano like, yeah, I think opens up yeah. under L.A. Mm-hmm. So uh, so at one point, there's a train station, like a subway train station, and the, the guy, the fireman, is on the, on the train, and he's about to carry a, a, a victim out and out of the track and up out of the trench. But as he gets to the edge of the train, he realizes, ah, it's too late. Lava has filled the trench. So, I mean, he's feet from the from safety, because the, the train track is the, the little, you know, where the train sits in that trench is the lava's flowing through it. So he goes, I have to do it. So he jumps in, knowing he's going to die, and walks the guy to the edge, because he's going to die, because his legs are going to melt. But 
he can walk him to the edge as he slowly sinks into the lava and then put him on top and, and he does it. And I, and I'm like, no human could, the minute he, he would just fall and drop to his knees and pass out and then they would both die. And I'm just like, I really think that one of the writers was like, I had this awesome bit for Terminator three. <laughs> we are putting it in this movie. Yeah, there's one of the things I've heard that's great, and I will I will not say what film it is, um, but it was a script that was in, uh, in a read stage, and there was uh, an element in it that made like no sense whatsoever, like absolutely no sense. Would this be the giant spider? I, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm not, there's there's it's a film that hasn't come out. All right. And in an early version of a script, there's just a scene that made like no sense at all, and that came up as a question, like, why is this in here? And I'm thinking, what of the writers said? I just seemed like it would look cool. And it, made, <laughs> it, like, it makes no scientific sense, no mental sense, no story sense. It's like, I don't know, I just thought that would look really cool. It's like, okay, that seems like a poor reason just to include it, unless your film is just all about visual, which the film wasn't. It was just like, I don't know, I thought it would look cool. So, yeah, bad, <laughs> bad script choices yes. get made all the time. As I just sat through three films. So bad. Well, you got three more. But yeah, and that's why you watch them for two reasons. One, you got to watch them one through six because it's the story arc order. And the story arc actually is a good story arc overall, the whole thing. But more importantly, you know it gets better that way. Right. You know, you know. Well, there's another order you're, you're supposed to watch them. Episode four, five, two, three, and then six. Because it's like you find out, oh, I, Luke, I am your father. And then right. you have this flashback and you watch him. Right. You, you omit one. Right. And you and omit then you watch one. two and three. And then you go back for the final that's one. Supposedly, that's supposed to be the best way to watch them. In, what, this, what, that's in interesting. Order to watch them. The, there one is, like, is kind of pointless. Go ahead. Yeah, one is kind of pointless. One is, is. Yippee. Yeah. There is like a master cut or final cut or something where they pretty much just get out. It's like uh, it starts with the sword battle at the end of one with a mysterious Jedi and they sort of edit it all the way down. And that's and that's how this whole cut starts. So basically they get rid of 99.9% of one, start at the very end of it and then pick up from there. And they edit out a bunch of other things in between. It's supposedly this one long cut that makes a lot more sense. Also, God, they does, he does such a bad job of introducing Darth Maul, who's such a cool... Mm-hmm. Fucking idea for a character, and yeah. one they don't give him any depth. There's like nothing. There's almost no character development in the first film at all. Um, but the way they introduce him is just the worst because the first time you like kind of see, like I think you see him in a very a short shot. Well, he like comes but in in one of the hollow. It's a hologram. Yeah. The first time you actually see him, he's like, "I'm going to send my apprentice Darth Maul," Darth and he like Maul. and he's standing behind him like all cross armed in a hologram, and you're like, "That doesn't look cool at all, dude." Like, what? It's like I'm going to present him in the least flattering way possible. Expect his arrival. And you're like, uh, "Okay, is he? Is he looks mean? I guess." <laughs> yeah, they and, do this- and then and then. Immediately after you get your first shot of Darth Maul, before it can sink in, you can go, Ooh, who's that? It cuts back to, oh, ching chong, bing bong, racist character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm coming. Oh, the trade of Federation. <laughs> we are here to take over everything. Oh, me send no gift to you. You're like, oh, man. <laughs> Holy crap. So bad. If so terrible. Been, yeah, it just, oh. <laughs> 
That's all right. It's okay. Just all right, flesh cleansing. it out. Cleansing. <laughs> Come on, there's much cooler things we could talk about. Yeah, Absolutely. you know, if we could talk about better stories and story design and mm-hmm. uh, and telling stories visually. How would we go about that? <laughs> Why we've got Scott Kurtz on? Did you see that segue? That, that was a stick of that, that, that I didn't even seamless? see where you were going with that. That's amazing. <laughs> that <was> awakens. <laughs> uh, Thank you. That's very kind. I am very hard on myself about that stuff. So, because I've been drawing comic strips, which is a very different animal than long form stories for seventeen years, and then it comes time to do something kind of more epic in scope, like Table Titans, and I didn't feel like I had uh, the tools. I was learning on the job, so I'm glad people like it. It's it was a lot of fun to make. It's still a lot of fun to make, and um, everyone should. Check her out. Well, okay. That, that, that brings me up to actually one of my questions. I'm sort of the comic book guy here, so I'm going to ask you a bunch of art-related and comic book questions while Stu will <clears> continually <throat> try to steer it back to role-playing games. No, no, go. go. <laughs> so, I have, a bunch of, I have a couple of questions here for you, Scott, that I just assembled on my own. <clears throat> You're bringing up the interesting topic about the long-form comic. Um, yes. I noticed that your colorist worked yeah. for Jeff Smith. He did. Yes. And yeah, Smith- Steve Hamaker. Steve Hamaker is our colorist, and he uh, colored all of the issues of Jeff Smith's Bone that um, you might have. Uh, it was uh, republished by Scholastic, um, which really took that book from the direct market comic book world to uh, libraries and bookstores, and just really opened it up to kids. Well, I, I think it's a remarkable comic. In fact, I keep trying to tell get people to read it. It's like the best comic nobody's ever heard of. And yet it's like the number yeah. one selling comic in the world. In in the world of comics, it's pretty well known. Yeah. Um, but I think people forget how limited a scope that world actually is sometimes. Well, okay, so, uh, so, so let me ask you this. Do you think that the success of Bone helped with the acceptance, acceptance of a more adventure-based comic for you? Oh, definitely. It it it's in fact, I never thought about making comics proper until I encountered uh, Bone in a in a comic book shop. Uh, up until then, I thought syndication was my only route. My artwork has always been super cartoony. I couldn't draw superheroes, and I don't know why it never occurred to me because I grew up reading a lot of Belgian comics and European comics because my dad is German, and when we we visited a couple times, and I bought. Asterix and Tintin. And it never occurred to me that I could do comics like that. I saw the comics like Marvel and DC and Image and thought, well, I gotta do comic strips. And then when I ran into the independent comics in the 80s and saw more cartoony work, and then I ran into Jeff Smith's work, I was like, oh, this is so great. And it, it just, it was kind of dumb because I was talking to the comic book shop owner and saying, I could do stuff like this but do a comic book with my art, and he's like, yeah, just like Carl Barks, and I said, who's Carl Barks? He's like, oh. well, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. And, and I was like, oh, so he introduced me to Carl Barks and all the Scrooge McDuck books, and I'm like, yeah, but these are for kids, like, it never occurred to me that people my age would want to buy this stuff, and he's like, oh, yeah, they buy Scrooge McDuck and Tintin and Asterix as well, that just never occurred to me. Um, so anyway, yeah, uh, Bone was, I think, really huge in introducing that stuff, so was, um, Sergio Aragonez with his comic Gru. Yeah. Um, Stan, Stan Sakai with Usagi Yajimbo. Yep. yep. 
um, I introduced I, I was introduced to all those guys, and that kind of um, set me on the path that I could do more long form stories with cartoony art. Uh, but yeah, in comics proper, cartoony art is not always in in trend. It's not always in favor. So it, it seems interesting that you're talking about the long form versus the. You know, because I, I I've always looked at PVP, which is how I got to know Scott um, online, PVP online, as being all, long form as a television series is long form. It's very episodic, and you, I always thought, did a great job of taking storylines and character development and character arc over multiple, you know, multiple days or weeks. Um, and putting that through that, that episodic content, which actually is very much like what we talk about when we talk about all the role playing stuff. Like, how do you come back week to week with gamers, and how do you continue to evolve the story and grow it? Right, because you're not sitting down and telling the entire tale in some four hour stretch. Right, right? you want to bring right. it over long things. And I thought that that's that's one of the things I always really liked about PvP online was the fact that I could, you know, kind of felt like I'm I'm with was. Brent and Skull and everybody, like I'm there going, you know, going through what they're going through and seeing them evolve and grow and, and things come back and characters come back or storylines come back. And so I think that's, that's interesting that, that you looked at long form content as a challenge. Cause I think you were in some ways doing it, but just broken up differently. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one is, I mean, I've always liked, um, developing my characters. My comic strips have always been character-based and character um, development-based. And I, I enjoy one-off gags as much as the next one. Um, and I still do them to some extent. But I really like the idea of um, telling stories in the comic strip. Um, and the, the, the difference between telling stories with a comic strip is in telling stories in um, with PvP is almost like staging. It's all staging. So, like, when you stage a sitcom, I guess a better way to do it is a play, right? If you watch a play on stage, no one puts their back to the audience. It's all presented to the audience. Uh, whereas, um, even on a sitcom, if you watch a sitcom, um, everyone sits at the table so they're all facing the audience. No one's got their back to the table. Uh, so it's it's staged very differently than you would stage mm. um, a movie, and you know, so you can go through a month of PvP and you never saw anybody's feet. I just never draw their feet. But they could be Muppets. You never see them from from the from the waist down. <laughs> did feet scare you? you? Doing? Did, did was was were you were you afraid to show feet? Or was it just because of the presentation <laughs> format? Feet are—I mean, feet are harder to draw than other things. But no, feet feet did not scare me. It's just that um, for the for the jokes I'm telling and the stories I'm telling, it's it's mostly a talking head. But when when you're when you're doing a, a story that's um, kind of a, like a, a role playing story, and people are swinging axes and swords. Uh, you're going to want to show a foot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you got to show people at, in action and swinging and, and doing all kinds of cool stuff. So the idea of just a talking head in 
uh, a fantasy setting is probably not, you know, going to fly too well. That's actually kind of my first question to you. Is like I noticed there was a stylistic difference between PvP and Table Titans. Not just because you've been doing it for, what, 18 years or something, but uh, like you say, it was sort of talking heads, like your typical sort of um, newspaper format with, you know, setup, setup, punchline. And Table Titans, meanwhile, is much more of a a comic book style with big splash panels. You've got feet. You've got backgrounds. I mean, it reminds me of Wormy or of of Finny's Fingers. You can't can't believe what a compliment that is. I, I actually, um, in, in the in prepping for Table Titans, I went and found online a bunch of of pirated old Wormy comics. That's all there is. Magazine. That's all he did. Yeah, that's that, all there is, and he passed away recently. Yeah, he was a cab driver. He, it's a really interesting story. I'd love to have somebody do a documentary on like where Tramp went to, but he was. It's a super sad story, but um, I think I guess he was happy. Um, I guess. Uh, but anyway, but, I, I was I was going to point that out. There is a definite stylistic difference between what you were doing, you know, with PvP, and it's. I was going to ask why, but you point out that they're two different animals. And well, what led to yeah, that? What led to? Well, it's just it's just the tools I need to tell the stories I want to tell. You know, I can't I can't tell those stories if it's just talking heads. Now, what they're when they're at the table, and it's them at the table. Yeah, I can get away with it a little bit more, but. Um, you want it to be a more epic scope. Um, I guess what they do is, in, in comics, it's a new trend. They call it widescreen, um, kind of invoking, you know, the language of film. But when, you know, and when we sit down and write it, and we decide, well, this is going to be a battle between the Titans and these dwarves and an army of orcs, that's not a comic strip. That's not fitting into little panels. That's, you know, that's going to take something a little extra to do. Um, and it's just going to... Your style is going to have to change. You have to understand movement and anatomy more than if the only thing your characters are doing this this in this comic is, is setting up a joker or drinking coffee at a coffee shop, you know? So... Well, that's that actually segues pretty well to my next question. If you would be so kind, it's uh, it's fair to say that I think that most of us in the RPG hobby or all want to be artists. I know I was. I know Bill can actually draw really well, even though he doesn't like to to bring it up. Um, maybe some people might be interested in hearing your working methods. Just a brief summary of like how it is you do what you do, because I know there's a lot of people out there that would love to probably do a web comic and don't even know the first thing about how to go about it. Oh, and you're well, like the you're like the grandfather of web comics to me. Because you were that first person whose web comics I saw, who I thought really took it to a very different place in terms of presentation and professionalism. And also, I know you've been a lifelong advocate of people just getting out and doing it themselves, and not feeling like they had to be the slave of publication. Yeah, I'm very pro do it yourself um, uh, these days. It's, it seemed almost a crime not to give it a shot. Um, and if for no other reason, just just because it, it's conducive to practice. Um, I would say that the biggest, the biggest tool in the arsenal of any artist is observation. Um, and the rest is just practice. Um, it really, really is. And I, and, I, and I hate to say it for a couple of reasons, because I think people are looking for a secret. And there isn't one. Um, 
which is great, right? Because there's no secret. Anyone right. can draw. It's just a matter of practice. But the bad news is, is that um, the truth of the matter, there is no secret, means that it really is just a matter of time. You really just have to put in the time. Um, you have to put in the time and you have to practice, and you'll get better. So the best thing you can do is just draw every day and just keep drawing. You'll, you'll get better in between, and you get better in between the drawings because you look at the last one you did, you see what you didn't like about it, and you remember that the next time you sit down to draw. My process is, um, first I write what I want to draw. Uh, I write the story. I start with a basic outline. Um, then I then I start plotting out dialogue uh, because that helps me get the different beats. I look for the moments, the really the really important moments that are going to stick with people. And then, um, then uh, I usually have a beginning and an ending, and then the trick is filling in the middle. Um, and then once you have a basic outline of the story and where it's going to go, you start plotting out the different beats, the action, um, breaking it down to pages when you're doing long form, uh, breaking it down to panels when you're doing a daily comic strip. And then the easy part is just sitting down and draw it. You put music on or some talk radio, and you're not totally worried about what to do or what to draw because you've got it all you've got it all figured out now. It's just a matter of doing it. Now, do you work um, entirely digitally or do you draw by hand first and then scan it in and, and then do work with it from there? Uh, I tend to, with PDP, I tend to do it all digitally. Um, I've drawn the characters long enough to where I'm very comfortable sketching. I, I sketch better traditionally for some reason than I, than I do digitally. I, I do... Um, Finished inks much better digitally, but I still sketch better on traditional with traditional material. So for Table Titans, I'll do a lot of sketching in sketchbooks and uh, on scrap paper and save them. And then what I do is when I want to compile them into my panels, I'll uh, take a picture of my phone or scan them in and then arrange them and uh, and work on them that way. Okay, so you, uh, you sort of make a layout through a bunch of sketches and such as well. Yeah, definitely. So the, with the, to, to actually construct the pages themselves, the first thing I do is, um, for drawing, is I do what's known as breakdowns or thumbnails. And with, with those, what you do is you just do really basic. Um, they're called thumbnail sketches because they're smaller, and they don't uh, take up a full page. They're just like little little quick sketches, just so you know, how the page is going to break down. And um, and also, what's important is not just what one page looks like, but how the pages look in sequence with each other. And you have to also take into consideration the physicality of a book. Because our rule at Two Now Studios, which is my little company that um, where we make all our comics here, is make it for the book. Because the web can be edited at any time. If there's a spelling error or if a page doesn't look right, we've gone back and recolored. But a book is forever. Once it's printed, it's printed, and you're and you're stuck with it. So, and we make it for the book also because we love the web for distributing work and for for making a new audience. There's nothing better than posting your work on the web because it's 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 easy to access. It can reach a ton of people, and it's linkable, and people can send it to other people, and it, and, and and it's really easy to spread the word. But it always reads better in the book. When you sit down and read it all in one sitting, and you're not waiting, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or whatever the update schedule is, when you sit down and read the whole thing, uh, it really 
reads it's a better reading experience i i um, completely so we, agree with you i, I mean girl yeah. genius looks really great when you compile them all into the books right so we always write for the books um so and what when you think about the physicality of a book you have the page turn and what i had to learn when making long form comics is i have to write for the page turn you can't have a reveal on a facing page so think about a book if you open a book you can see both pages, you're immediately going to go and look at the last panel of the right-hand page. It's just na- human nature. You have to have your reveals you know, on the odd number, like three and six. And- <laughs> yes, you have to have your reveal on the page turn. Otherwise, you'll telegraph the, the surprise. So you find yourself, when you're doing your thumbnails, going, hmm, this puts a reveal on a, on a face of the page, so I'm going to shorten this, or, or I'm going to pad this out so that my reveal's on a page turn. Um, and then once you got your thumbnails and you know what to do, you just start penciling and, and then uh, inking the, the final art. And then since I'm very lucky to have Steve Hammock on board, I sent it to Steve for covering, and he covers it. Hey, so that that actually was something I wrote earlier. With PvP Online, you were you were the one-man show. It was You did yeah. everything, right? And yeah. black and white, and the color, and everything. Like, so what has that been like for you moving from... You're you're doing everything to now. You have a team you're working with for Table Titan. Yeah, it's night and day, 100 percent better with a team. And in fact, we hired Dylan McConus, who is a, a really talented cartoonist and and writer in her own right. Um, Dylan has come on board, and she writes PvP with me. So PvP isn't even a one man show anymore. Uh, is it just? Is, do you, do you like having that that ability to bounce ideas off people? What do you like? You say it's undeniably better. What is it about yeah. it that, that makes it better for you? Well, because time is a constraint, and you have to get it done, and you have a deadline. Even if you've worked ahead, but you know, because even when you build the buffer every day, you don't make two comics. You're using the buffer, right? So you want to uh, you want to keep drawing. So time is a constraint, but what stinks is that um, when you're on your own, is that uh, sometimes you only have time for the first idea. Because if you if you go, well, you know, I could improve this. I could totally improve this joke, but I need time to think about it. And I, I'm probably going to go to the movies, and then the store, and then I might read a book. And then, yes, the, the, the better joke will come to you. And because you, you give it time to marinate uh, mentally, the problem is you don't you, you don't really have that time. You just don't. Uh, but if you're working with another person, you don't need the time because you come up with an idea, and then they go, you know, th- that sparks an idea uh, for them, and they add to it, and then you go, oh god, yeah, and then this, and then now you're on the third, fourth, fifth idea. And you're not just using the first idea you had because you're out of time. But you got to that fifth idea much quicker because you have an extra uh, brain there uh, working on it. That's what I like about co-GMing. You have somebody as a soundboard off of there. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's always Yeah, definitely. Stories. No, that's important too. Yeah, definitely. Mm. A co-GM can be very valuable. All right, well, maybe you can answer this, but I have to ask this very carefully. And, and, I, and I've been told I need to ask this. Okay, I need to couch this. 
The last time we did an interview, I got called an idiot Jesus. for asking Steve Jackson where he gets his ideas. So I'm not going to ask you where you get your oh, ideas. And by, and by the way, Scott, Steve Jackson was the one who called him an idiot, yeah. which was pretty great. So, I don't know why artists get so offended by that question. Uh, I don't, well, okay. I used to do a weekly strip for my college newspaper, um, and it was sometimes a real struggle to sort of come up with ideas. How do you keep the jokes flowing? How do you keep the juices flowing? How do, uh, is it that keeps it oh, fresh? Oh, look, he's got it. Look at that. Yeah. Nice uh, job, Stork. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, it's super easy, and if you think about it, um, you do it all the time. Uh, you do it all the time, and the, and the way that it works is, if you think about, um, take a moment to think about you and your buddies. And how many times in any given outing, you and your buddies laugh about stuff. And usually it's your own inside jokes. And you, you know, uh, they're kind of, you had to be there moments. Because when you try to retell the joke, everyone just kind of looks at you like you're crazy. But to you and your friends, you can just mention, mention it and everyone starts laughing, right? So that's just like, that is 100% how you write comics. I mean... The trick is the audience is in on the joke because they're watching too. So you set up the joke as you go. They're there with the characters. They're there as they're experiencing these things. So if something really funny happens with your group, if you're laughing about something, we were sitting here before uh, the podcast started, we were riffing about episode one and Star Wars and all that stuff. All that was comics. That could be a whole week of comics. The difference between you guys and me is that when you're done riffing, you go home and you know take the bread out of the oven and have dinner. I go home and write it down because that's going to be next week's comics. So, <laughs> so, so be careful when you be careful when parting with the oh, cartoonists because yeah, they're going to steal your ideas or, or put you in the comic. <laughs> uh, well, definitely you'll end up where something you said might end up in the comic. Yeah, <laughs> if you're really My lucky, brother, if you're super fortunate, you get to make a guest appearance in the comic. I've been, I've been I've been I've been fortunate over the years, and Scott has put me in uh, usually definitely, usually definitely. quite humorously, as I've promised or I've broken hearts. I recall I broke there was a lot of broken hearts. There were some broken hearts because everyone was excited for Diablo two at the time. Yep, and you weren't delivering. My as, fa- as, my my favorite. And this is a very personal thing to me, and I apologize to our listeners for their momentary trip. But I still separate in its own little image. Uh, on my computer, I always have the episode where Skull goes to E3, gets drunk on ginger ale at a party, <laughs> tries to meet a girl, and and he's like hitting on this attractive lady, and his his big pickup line is like, "Oh, I know Bill freaking Roper." <laughs> I know Roper, yeah. And uh, and I have friends of mine that still call me that for that reason Bill from that script, Roper. Bill freaking Roper, which is hilarious. So I always felt like I was super honored to, so, uh, to that's appear. A true, that's, a, that's a true story. <laughs> that, that reminds me of a question I got asked last night. Uh, somebody told me that you're actually friends with Frank Chow, uh, the, the I, cartoonist. Well, I know Frank, yeah. yeah. He used to be really good friends. I haven't seen him in a long time, but okay. he used to be pretty tight. Yeah, he helped me kind of get into Image Comics. Well, it okay, cool. Does that mean that we can maybe get Liberty Meadows make a cameo in, uh, in uh, PvP? It's already happened. It happened years ago. Oh, I yeah. missed that one. I'm going to have to go back. Re- well, you've been doing it for so long. I'll have to check. Brent went to Liberty Meadows to look for Skull, I think, at one point. So yeah, when he, was, when he ran away, right? And he went everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 
No, that's that crossover's already happened. Oh well, see, I'm late to the late <laughs> yeah, to that you gotta, party. You have to go back and look at the like seventy four thousand <laughs> PVP online. It's a lot. We actually hired someone to go through and curate all the strips because we're going to start making books again. Oh, so that's we need great. To hire someone. We need to hire someone to go through all the comics and tag them and mark them and decide. It can't be me. It should be my responsibility, but it can't be me because I would. I tried, and then afterwards, Corey was like. What'd you do? And I'm like, it's all shit. I don't yeah. want to make any of it. <laughs> you spent too much time in your head and beat yourself up. Yeah, that's maybe yeah. another reason to have collaborators with you, to, like talk you down off the ledge nightly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Ca- cartooning's true. a lonely business. You spend hours alone in a room, stuck inside your head, and it's not always healthy. Yeah, it's like my no, high school not. sex life. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> I've, I've noticed that Table Titans is much more sort of character-driven. You've got these wonderful characters that are all interacting and stuff. And uh, as musicians, we we can never, ever guess which which songs are going to be the popular one. So this is going to lead up to, were you surprised when Val became the breakout hit of the of the series? Very. Um, I was surprised because Val appeared in PvP first. Um, she, was, she was a supporting character in PvP, a guest character. And... She came about because, um, despite what everybody thinks, my wife is not based on Jade, uh, the character Jade at all in PvP. Actually, Jade is a lot more like me than, than Angie. And I've always wanted to put Angie in the comic. And, you know, Jade is kind of tall and thin and, and, and very kind of outgoing. And my wife is short and curvy and plus-sized and, you know, very fiery. And she's an introvert, but she's... she's She's once you get to know her, she's formidable, and um, and I'm just this big kind of goofy guy. I'm very much like Skull, and I like the idea of Skull having a love interest that was a lot like Angie. So I put Val in the comic. And it was very easy for me because I love my wife. I'm enamored with her as a person. So you know, she's the perfect character for me to write because I know her so well, and and I think she's great. I'm fascinated with her as a character. So Val is easy. What I didn't expect was everyone to assume that I was making some kind of a statement, especially when she became the lead of Table Titans, her own comic, because it was like, we got so much mail from so many people saying, thank you for putting a lead character that is a short, curvy, plus-size, not-typical comic book, skinny, elongated torso woman, and she's got agency, and she's, you know... Uh, vulnerable, but she's strong, and, uh, you know, like, it was this big calculated thing that we did, and I was like, oh, wow, 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 people really, really like Val a lot, and so, when they say, God, I really like Val, I'm like, yeah, I like her too, and and I don't think they realize what it is that I'm admitting to. I like her too, because I love my wife, and I, and I like sharing that with everybody, so... Everyone's kind of falling in love with my wife, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> well, I was going to say, maybe that's why it makes her so attractive, is because you, you've written her so well. I mean, there's there's certain scenes, especially when she runs across town to go see Skull and all that, you're like, oh, how can you not yeah. fall in love with that woman? She's so great, and you write her so well. Yeah, I think my favorite strip is, um, uh, there's one strip where she had an encounter with, her first encounter with Skull, because I, I made it that she wanted, she very much believes she's a dwarf, even though she lives in modern times. Um, the the concept behind Val, the character that's not like my wife, but that's unique to the character, is that Val is convinced that 
the memories you make in games um, at some point will become as real as your real memories. Because the longer you have a memory, the farther you get from the actual event, the more polished the memory gets, the details fade, it becomes more vague, it's more feelings of the moment, you, you forget details, some details get embellished, others get dropped. And so if you think about it, as years and decades go down the line, your real memories are almost as made up as your made up memories. And so that's exciting to her because that means her memory of when she was a dwarf is as real as her memory of when she was picked on at school. And she'd rather remember, believe that she's a dwarf than she was, you know, a badass dwarf and the girl that was picked on at school. And so she wants to game a lot because in games, she can make memories that she really appreciates and better define her. Wow. So that's, uh, that's impressive. That's the concept behind Val. And that's why I can make Table Titans a strip about Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop gaming, which is a very niche thing. But I think the strip could appeal to a lot of people because, you know, Val's story, Val's arc is really about um, the time you spend with your friends and the memories you make when you're gaming is, is, uh, and we all do it. I mean, you know, Bill, you spent so much time at Blizzard. Think about all the memories and real relationships and real events that came out of, of gaming stuff. I mean, like Stormwind is super real to people. Yeah. Yep. And I, I tell you what, like when, like it even happened today when I say, I know Bill freaking Roper. If I encounter someone that doesn't know who Bill freaking Roper is, I'm like, well, he was a producer on Diablo 2. He works at Disney Interactive. He worked at Cryptic for a while. He did um, this game, this game. And then Angie goes, do you ever play Warcraft? Yeah. You know, job's done. Yes. That's Bill's voice. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for better or for worse, I'm going to have to have a button on my gravestone. Yeah. And I'll pre-record oh, 10,000, you know. No. Stop poking me. It says, no, on your tombstone, it'll say Bill Roper, your birth and death date, and then it'll say job's done. Job done. <laughs> Job done. Job done. Work In complete. Quote, work complete. Exactly. <laughs> on your tombstone. That is the darkest shit. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what a terrible thing for the, for the tombstone. <laughs> oh God! Work complete. That is sadness. Oh, God. It could be worse. It could just say Bill Roper, Lord of the Underworld, underneath there. Something. Perfect score achieved. Oh God. <laughs> uh, uh, that kind of let me let me kind of dovetail this into gaming a little bit because we have some questions. What was, people... what was your question? <laughs> Rat hole. Uh, that was my nickname in college when I stripped, by the way. Rat hole? Rat hole, yeah. yeah you were hot then. Whew, it, was a tough, young it was a tough stage. <laughs> stupid, You're stupid gross. rat hole. Uh, we, had some, we had people post, some, uh, some listeners post questions for you on our forum. And uh, one of the questions that you just kind of touched on a little bit from Hour 11 was, in all your gaming time, what's mm -hmm. your favorite moment? And what's that, what is that gaming story that stands out from all the others? My favorite gaming story is when my dad brought home the blue box. Uh, it was the 80s. Um, and dad, at the time, a lot of people were playing D&D, &D, not just nerds. It was a kind of a phenomenon uh, for a while. 
Um, uh, but uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, he brought home the blue box. But my favorite memory is we he was showing us how to make characters. I think he had an elf named Silverleaf, and he had something else, and then he had a wizard named Drazu. And I'm like, that's a really cool name, Drazu. He's like, yeah, this is my character, Drazu the Wizard. I'm like, how'd you come up with that name? He goes, well, it's the word wizard spelled backwards. (laughs) And I was like, what? How did you know that would be someone's name? (laughs) He's like, I didn't. I just tried it backwards, and it worked as a name. And I just thought, oh, my God, that is the most amazing thing. I cannot believe how awesome that is. And so every time new friends came over to to see the game and try it, I'd be like, and Trotsy was wizard backwards. They'd be like, what? <laughs> so, uh, when one of our characters in Table Titans played a wizard, I'm like, I know what his character's name is going to be. It's going to be Trotsy. And it is, and he's one of the, uh, he's he's a favorite character of the of our readers. People really like Darby. But yeah, that's my favorite memory, is 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 Dad introducing us to, to D&D. Um, that, that one's kind of hard to beat. Yeah. So your dad's cooler than mine. Who was like, "What's wrong with that boy? How don't you go out and date women? What's wrong right. with you? Why don't you go <laughs> like cars and stuff?" Yeah, he did. He didn't know. I think he was very worried for a while. My he parents, my parents had the whole very worried that uh, I was going to fall into the throes of Satan from D and D. They like believed all that. Did they really? That was, You're they the did. Second person. And now. I remember coming home from school, and I had like. Bought all my own Dean stuff, bought my books, bought my figures. I worked at a game store one summer because I got 25% off and I, I tons of stuff. And all the money you made there went to. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. It was, so it like was indentured free. servitude, yeah. basically. <laughs> I'm just like buying from the company store. Uh, and I and I came home after school one day and my parents said, like, oh, we want to talk to you. And they sit me down at the dining room table, very serious, and like, we've been We've seen some things on the news and we're reading some different things. And we're very concerned about this game that you play, everything. So we threw away all your stuff. Ooh. And I was like, oh. like you, what? And they're like, yeah, we threw away all the blah, blah. I said, you realize that our youth pastor is my dungeon master, right? Because <laughs> we go to church. And he was. Like, my youth pastor is my DM. And it's like, it's just, it's a game. I'm like explaining to them and the whole thing and whatever. And like, after, I don't know, probably. 20 minutes of impassioned talk about what are you doing, right? They were like, oh, wow, oh, we didn't realize that. I'm like, yeah, oh, my God, where's my stuff? Well, the trash collectors came today. It was gone. Like, they threw it in the bin and then gone that day. And and then the only thing I think that really struck my dad in all that was when I told him how much all that stuff cost. And then he then he then he kind of oh, lost his no. mind just because he'd like yeah, thrown that much money away or yeah, something. It's like, it's like five or six hundred dollars. Yeah, it was a it was a lot. It was like you For know a, a couple kid. couple of years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so I didn't have the my my, my mom and dad were great in so many ways. Gaming was they did not get that at all at that time because they were they were convinced I was going to be that kid who got killed in the so in the sewers somewhere. We don't even have like Good a Lord. big sewer system. We don't even no. have sewers. No, like, they were like, "Gonna have to build one and then <laughs> and then murder me." I'd murder me in it. <laughs> well, I think my mom tended to worry more about that stuff than anyone, but but she didn't care about D and D. I think she knew that we were pretty. My brother and I were so boring. We weren't going to do anything crazy. <laughs> <laughs> we never really, we never really leaned towards that stuff. And we didn't just play D and D. We I think we bought everything TSR made. So we made Gamma World. We played the Marvel Comics, uh, 
Marvel superheroes RPG. Yep. We played villains and vigilantes. We played everything. So uh, this is another question from the from our forum. Benji wants to know: mm-hmm. Do you, do you have a current favorite RPG? Uh, right now it's fifth edition, but um, my yeah, I'm a big D and D guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my buddy is telling me about this new RPG. I don't remember, God, I don't remember the name of it. Uh, but he just introduced it. He says he's going to introduce it to me the next time I'm over there. So, I mean, I'm open to, to new ideas. I think the the new Star Wars is pretty cool. Um, that one's hella fun. Uh, and plus, it's Star Wars, so it's always fun to explore that universe. Yeah, but, it's good, uh, yeah, just drink the Kool Aid on that. Yeah, I buy yeah, all the Cory books. Uh, I'm a D and D guy. I know that's probably boring, but <laughs> well, but you have. I think also. I mean, you have a a, a pretty special relationship with Watsy too, right? I mean, you've yeah, been able to really I mean, I'm, I'm see a right lot now. of the inside of of how they're approaching that stuff and and, and yeah. being involved with them, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. And you and you get to play with some. Uh, I mean, so do you do much GMing, or do you tend to play more and then just? <laughs> play with crazy GMs. I prefer to I prefer to run the game. I like writing the stories and moving the character moving the players around and giving them things to investigate and I like rolling with the punches when my players do things I don't expect. That to me is more exciting than I if I'm playing I tend to get bored between my turn and I tend to sit there and sketch and then lose track of the table and get yelled at. I, I do prefer to run the game. Always have. Well, and, uh, that begs the question to me then. It's, it's one of the ones I didn't ask, but I'll ask it now, which is, is Table Titans based off of an actual adventure? No, but we are basing an actual adventure off of Table Titans. Aha! So, Re- 2016 okay. will, I don't know if it's exclusive or not, but 2016 we will be introducing our own Fallen Veil vale campaign setting based on the world that Table Titans is playing in right now. So in season one, uh, there's one point in the first book where they get really upset about their DM and Alan says, we're going to quit. We're not going to go back to that game. And he goes, Andrew, it's time for you to break out the campaign setting you wrote. And Andrew gets really excited. And he's like, oh, I've got the binder. And they're like, you got the binder with you? He's like, I've always got the binder with me. And, um, and he's like, I, I know that you guys, if you just give it a chance, you'll fall in love with this world. And then and then Val's like, no, we need to go back. And then he, they all agree to go back. And Andrew's like, okay, someday, baby. And he kisses the binder. And then at the end of season two, um, Andrew pulls out the binder and gives it to their DM and says, I'm not ready for my group to play it yet. Alan and Val will tear, tear me apart if it's bad. But can you play test this with another group? I really, I work really hard in this campaign setting. So the DM, Brendan, says, yeah, I know, just the group. And now, in our third year of Table Titans, it is currently being drawn by Brian Hurt, who's this incredible artist that worked on Oni Press's uh, comic, The Six Gun. Mm. He's joined our team, and he's writing and drawing, and it's about Brendan taking another group, uh, not the Table Titans, but the Dungeon Dogs, through this campaign setting. So the current storyline at Table Titans is not in the Forgotten Realms. It's not in any Watsi campaign setting. It's set in our own world that we're kind of establishing in the comic um and we'll be our characters will be playing in that moving forward and then in 2016 we're going to start uh releasing it as a campaign setting that we'll run events for and we'll do play testing and get everybody's input on and 
It'll be fun. That's cool. I uh, I have yeah. to say that Brendan's doing a very good job on honoring your style. How, how trippy is it to see those pages come in and go, wow, that's a choice I wouldn't have made, but that's really cool. Well, it, amazing. Um, Brian helped me a lot with season two. We hired Brian on with book two of Table Titans to do breakdowns for you. I told you about those thumbnails you do first. So I would write the script send it off to Brian and Brian would send back thumbnails. He'd plot the pages out and then we'd have a meeting once a week and I'd sit down and go over with him. Like, this is so interesting. And what the hell did you make that choice? And just so I could learn a lot about staging uh, a book. And I'm like, you got, you're using a lot more face shots and, you know, busts as I call them, like the chest up. And he's like, yeah, every page doesn't have to be a full figure. You can still use the tools you've used for PVP, but and he was teaching me a bit how the action needs to be in the biggest panel. And so that really helped me with year two. He came in and really helped me teach, taught me more how to break down these pages. And so, uh, yeah, it's great to see. I, I mean, it's great. He does all the work. I just sit there and look at how amazing it is. Um, you know, I, it's I, fucking awesome. I, I will say, Scott, I, I love hearing this and I have, I have a, a, I'm very fortunate to have a few friends that have gone on and done some amazing things. Um, and it's so incredible to listen to you talk about this and the team you have and the, the, the different processes now they're using. Cause I think back to when you were like, I'm, I think I might try to get a plush made. That's crazy. <laughs> or like, holy shit. I'm going to like, I might move into an office. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Like, um, and, and watching the fact that you've stayed very dedicated to what you believe in terms of not just a creative process, but to how to run a business and how to treat people and, and seeing that success. And I'm super proud of that, of, of you for that. And I think it's just fantastic. Thank you. Um, you know, I will say, uh, I'm super proud of it too. And, um, what happened was about four years ago, I ran into Corey Cassoni, Corey works, uh, at the time, he worked at Oni Press. He was their marketing guy in Portland. Um, so he ran the marketing uh, and PR department for Oni Press. And I met him at some cons, and we would sit and talk. And he would call me and say, you know, I was thinking about PvP, and you should do X, Y, and Z. And you could have books printed. And do you know how Amazon works and how their specials work? And I'm just frantically writing it all down. And I would run to Angie and say, oh, Corey taught me about this and this and this. And she's like what's he up to? Like, why is he helping you? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I can just ask him. And she's like, well, don't just ask him. And I go, why not? You know, I mean, I'm not going to hint at it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not Holmes. I'm not going to deduce it. Like, I'm just going to say, and so next time he helped, he goes, hey, did you do any of that stuff? It's like six months later. I'm like, no, I couldn't. I don't know. I don't have the time. And he's like, well, I was thinking about this, this, and this. And I go, you know, again, I'm frantically writing all these ideas down. He's like, but you're not going to do that, are you? And I go, I don't really have the bandwidth. You know, I don't know how to do all this by myself. And then, and then he goes, you need someone to help you. Like, you need a person that could do all this for you. And I'm like, yeah, I do. But how am I going to find someone I can trust? He goes, yeah, that's the tough part. And then I go, can I ask you a question? He goes, yeah. And I said, why are you helping me? Like, why are you telling me this? Like, um, my wife asked me that and I said, I think he might just be like me. And Angie goes, what do you mean? I go, well, I'm the kind of guy that would just help someone because I'm excited about it. I don't really think about 
you know, the compensation or if I should be compensated. And I think he just might be dumb like me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think he just might be excited about it and not realize he can charge for it or that he should suggest that he works for me or something. And, uh, or maybe he's frustrated at owning this doesn't have the time. And Corey goes, it's all that. Like, yeah, I, he goes, well, I no, I don't do anything but benefit. If you succeed, the more people that succeed at comics, the stronger the industry gets. Mm-hmm. And it drives me nuts when creators who are doing really well may not know certain things. I've never been the kind of person that goes, well, I'm not going to tell them how to do this, or I'm not going to show them how that brush works. Cause who gives a shit? And, and, and if everyone does better, the industry gets healthier. We're not competing against each other. It's not like someone goes, hey, you should check out Penny Arcade. He goes, well, I already read PvP today, and I can only read one webcomic day. It's who gives a shit. You read them all. <laughs> you know? Oh, if only I'd spend my money reading this comic, this free comic. Oh, so We all want to know that there's a rivalry between you and Phil Foglio. We just want to hear about it. <laughs> I don't... What? How does anyone have a rivalry with Phil? I know, I'm just saying. That's, That's what like saying, want. we want to hear about how you hate Santa. Yeah! Because he's like, you know, a jolly fuck. Folio's such a dick. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps inviting me over to his house, and I'm like, I'm not going to come over and sit on your steam couch, whatever the fuck you got there. I'm sure... Uh, it, I, I, I'm... I have not been to Phil's house. He's invited me a bunch because he lives here in Seattle, too, and he has a party before everyone at CityCon. And I don't go for two reasons. One, because the other cartoonists that go there all hate me. And two, because nothing that I see at his house will be as awesome as I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't want to like, see uh, his, like, his, his animatronic <laughs> robodroid that serves drinks? Because you know he's got yeah, a steam his, droid. His steam-powered butler. That's right. You know, that's like, <laughs> Hello, Mr. Kurtz. Um... <laughs> And then, and then it's like you know, you hear you hear um, <laughs> Phil from the back go, "Oh, Cotsworth!" And then the <laughs> butler's like, "Indubitably." <laughs> uh, no, I don't have a. <laughs> how could anyone have a feud with Phil? <laughs> <laughs> Although I think one year we went to Gen Con, we were on the same plane, and I was in first class for some reason. I think we got lucky, and he walks in and sees me, and. We were doing this game, Angie and I were doing this game where we were secretly just looking at everyone and coach going, mm, coach. We were just making fun <laughs> of it. And, but we were doing it privately to ourselves as a joke. And then Phil walks in and I say out loud, I go, oh, this guy. Get in the back. And, uh, and, uh, so I guess that's the closest I've had to a rivalry. <laughs> Should I do the yeah. Uh, yeah, you got more forum? Yeah, you got there more was like 80 questions. million forum questions. Yeah, yeah right. I keep the more good. I'm done with well, my questions. Well, try to pick the good ones. And I, for everybody who re- sent questions that we didn't read in the forum, it's not because we don't like you, it's because you wrote a shitty question. Or I keep talking yeah. too much. Or Stork asked it. Right. <laughs> yeah, try, try better. Or, uh, Eric from New Jersey asks, what aspects of gaming positively, positively contribute to your other artistic endeavors and how? All of them. All of them do. Um, I bit. I cut my teeth on storytelling, playing um, D and D, creating characters, creating stories for them, uh, thinking about how they interact. All of it came from uh, playing D and D. At least all my skills came from it. Um, I think if you have a kid that uh, you think is going to be creative and they explore creative things, the best thing you could do for them is have them have them role play. Um, it's huge. Um, 
so yeah, all of it. Um, the arts, the pacing of a story, um, the improvisational skills. It's all, all of it is helpful. Who's dropping beers? Me. Yeah, we're, he's going through the refrigerator. He's dropping beers and I'm spilling them on myself. It's amazing. It's like, we're to, we're to that it's point, we're, we're to the point in the bar fridge where it's all the shit no one else would drink that's been in the studio. Yes. It's no, like, I wow, imagine. Kirkland beer. I bet you that's going to be good. It actually is. Don't lie to me. What, it is. Don't lie Costco? to me. Yes. It's made by a legitimate brewery. It's made by a legitimate, not, not like a macro brewery. It's made by a... What, like the brewery had a mother and a father? Yeah. Right. I learned my lesson though because you leave them out all mm. all like year yeah, and then, then put them you. in there. I, those are for you specifically. Uh, since you primarily GM, is there a? This is from of the hill people. Uh, is there a a? Um, what is your most hated tabletop faux pas? As in the sort of thing that a player does at the table that bugs you. Like give an example. Uh, he, he gave examples. In yeah, two, like right? cell phones or power gaming. Uh, I went to, I went to, I visited my brother's game, um, visited a friend of ours that moved from Dallas to Seattle, and Brian plays with him um, over Skype every week, or every other week they played. And so, here in Seattle, the table includes an iPad with my brother's face on it, and then a phone aimed at the table, and Brian uses Skype and plays from Seattle. But when he was visiting me, he actually got to go to the house and play. And so I went with him and to watch for a little bit. And we went up into the room above the garage and they're playing and the DM's playing. And as they're playing, one guy's on his DS. Another girl is knitting. A third one's on his phone. And I was ready to strangle everyone. Like, what is the point? Like, Either the DM's doing something wrong, the system's bad. I, I really blame 4th Edition for it, because I think when you had a lot of players, 4th Edition get really bogged down, and encounters could take forever. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh yes, oh, yes. Yeah, you uh, haven't listened to our podcast. Where uh, yeah, Stu, Stu talks Stu, about Stu, 11 people. <laughs> yeah, Stu had 11 players yeah. in a 4E game. That's crazy. That's stupid. insane. That's madness. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, rapid fire questions. Sure. Okay. No. I haven't I haven't gotten to ask these in years. I know. I, I love these too. Uh, okay, the first five are as a player. Mm. Character sh- character sheet, pencil and paper, computer printed or PDF on a tablet. Uh, uh, printed. Uh, number two, fighter, thief, or mage. Fighter. Number three. GM doesn't ask for a backstory. Do you write one anyway? Yes. Four, die lands on the floor. Read it or re-roll it? Re-roll. Really? Mm. Okay, (laughs) five. (laughs) Five, you're pulling out your dice for the game. Are they the same dice you you used last session? Yes. Okay. These are GM questions. A long time ago, I decided I'm done buying dice. Really? Yeah, everything else you keep, at least I like to, and it and you want it to, you know, get some age on it and and get broken in. But for some reason, you know, everyone always wants new dice and it's like you know, these dice are your it's your sword and your shield, it's your weapons and they they, they should be like you know, like um Gandalf didn't go oh, you know, Ah, there he is, Shadowfax, King of the Horses. We've been on many adventures together. Ah, fuck it, new horse. (laughs) (laughs) So let me ask an ancillary to that then. So, uh, same dice every time for that character, or it doesn't matter whatever dice you pull out? Oh, well, I don't... 
I don't carry that many dice. I did get a new. Yeah, I don't. I got my dice bag right here. Um, I did switch out my D twenty because I had a veteran come up at um, at a con one day. I'll try to hold it up to the camera and say that he we our podcasts on playing D helped him when he was overseas, and he made a set of dice out of. Uh, Lapis Luisi, how do you say it? Lapis Lapis Lazuli. Yeah, the bones of the fallen. (laughs) And I got no. It's a blue gem they used to make like paint out of and stuff. Yeah. This is a this is a D twenty that's it's actually hefty, but it's made out of that. Oh, that's awesome! And it rolls really great. So I I did switch to that, but yeah, no, it's always the same set of dice. See, I'm weird because I have like specific dice for specific characters. No, really? that's yep. weird. Drang used the same dice, mm-hmm. and I've switched out for my new character <laughs> name. He does not use the Drang dice, and I have a set of dice in a box with the figure for that freaking Pirate Pathfinder game. <laughs> in case we ever play yeah, it, again. that's right. That was that that's, guy's uh, dice. That's a bunch of superstitious bullshit. Yep, <laughs> I, don't, I don't subscribe to that. You know what? I didn't subscribe to it too until I started rolling really fucking shitty. Until I found dice that rolled good, and then that's so that's what that guy. Obviously, they're meant to be. With Once you guy. find the dice that you like the way they roll, you keep them. Other, everything else, you're just playing into big dice. That's why I keep buying dice. <laughs> Stork has still not dice. found. Stork has still like not found the tobacco. dice that he likes that roll. Well. <laughs> it's 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 all propaganda by Chessex. Don't 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 give in to big plastic. <laughs> don't give in to big plastic. <laughs> Uh, all right, I got uh, DM que- or DM or GM questions. Number one, I like rapid fire questions. Go. All right, behind the screen or out in the open? Behind the screen. Uh, right answer. Very uh, important. <laughs> Always behind the screen. Number two, my character's ambidextrous, good aligned drow. Can I have extra starting cash to buy two scimitars? No. Number three, I'm going to try to convince the guard to let me go. To let me go by. What do I need to roll? It all depends on your character. There's many ways to convince a guard, but you need to let me know, are you going to try to sweet-talk him? Are you going to try to intimidate him? Are you going to try to trick him? Okay. We had one guy one time that convinced a goblin guard because their intelligence was so low and he rolled a critical on his um, on his persuasion, and he goes, I am a goblin. And the guy goes, oh, thank God you're here. <laughs> <laughs> the goblin goes, thank God you're here. And then at the end he goes, he was a minion. Uh, the goblin, and then at the end, the the bard goes, "Ha! I was lying. I'm not a goblin." And the goblin died of a heart attack. <laughs> uh, number four: two players out of your six player party don't show up. Play anyway, or break out another game. Uh, m- more than likely, play anyway. Okay. Um, depends on how long we've played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how long since we played? How badly the other guys want to play? Usually, we we have a we like to have a quorum. I think that would make quorum. So okay, but but if it's a if it's also it really depends on what's happening. If it's a very important thing that we want them there for, we'll break out another game. Okay. Uh, last question: Can I make a perception roll too? Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. Always make perception rolls. Sure, right, why not? You forgot one there, Stu. It was actually which my one? favorite, which is uh, GM or DM. Oh, I took that one out. Yeah. DM? DM? Okay. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. And now we have. Uh, uh, did you get the the Google Doc that I sent you with the mm-hmm. emails? Okay. Um, we have we, that. That's ninety percent of the content of our show. Usually, is reading emails. Cause right. But this is why this show is going to be way better because we had a guest on. Exactly. Yeah. And we'll have him read emails. Right. <laughs> so that's going to be ninety five percent. Yeah. That's, okay. 
These are very long. Oh no! Oh, this oh, is oh no! Oh no! No! Oh no! The guy that used to write really long, really long emails is now on the show with us. So, uh, but uh, yeah, for us, a really long email is three printed pages. Yes. Uh, this go- is people being succinct. Do you want me to read one of these? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. All right. Eric from New Jersey says, "Hey, Stu and the Happy Jacks crew, and Scott. I guess thanks. <laughs> Eric from New Jersey yet again." Stalker. Uh, my apologies for writing in so soon after the previous email, but my first GM came up to me after the game tonight and said he thinks he made a big mistake running Pathfinder with an adventure path his first time GMing. After talking for a bit, he's going to check with the rest of the group to see what they want to do. Soon the conversation's got the topics like yes and soliciting feedback and trying to figure out a good system to start with. Like I said, this guy's giving me a much-needed breather from GMing while keeping the group together. I plan to make him a personalized GM screen. That has absolutely nothing to do with the game we are playing. I plan to take Stu's suggestion of having places to leave feedback acquired from players as notes. However, there will be a blank area in the middle of the screen. I wanted to know if you could put six things to constantly remind a newer GM who is an experienced player in that black in that blank area. What would you put? Again, thank you for your show and have a wonderful day. Drink. Oh, all right. Well, well, okay. He said drink. I heard. We also, Eric from New Jersey. So six things to to constantly. Well, I know what my like. At least one of them would be Kirkland Brown Ale. I heard Kirkland. No, I want a Diet Coke. Well, what the one thing that always comes up when we talk about it all the time, and I definitely would put it for newbies, is grapple rules to whatever game you're playing (laughs) in the middle of the fucking veil, or at least the page number, or at least the page (laughs) number, because they it happens all the time. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna. Tackle him and I go, oh, fuck. Now i got to look this thing up. Hmm. That's good. Yeah, what are the six things? Um, I think I would put something along the lines of stop, listen, include. Like a, a, a thing, right? So when someone's saying something and you're getting there, just like take a second, listen to what people are saying, and then... Can you include that in what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like, because it's because it's collaborative storytelling, right? Yeah. So remind you, remind the new GM to do that, and not be so. Hopefully, to not be so caught up in this is the story I'm telling, and you're going to play my story, right? That's a. Uh, by the yeah. way, Scott, that's our that's our whole thing there with the yes and. We're big at it, it's a it's an improv technique where you yes and instead of saying no and blocking, you say the players right. say I want to go out and hunt the bear. You say yes and. This will happen right. instead of saying no. There's no bear. Yeah, uh, my rule is always that the players are telling the story. The DM is just telling them which parts of the story they're writing is canon. Mm-hmm. That's what is, right. What's sticking for the universe? Right. Um, uh, but um, no, I agree. I like yes and we do that all the time. Uh, what's six things to tell an experienced player but a new DM? Uh, the first one, it's going to be okay. The second one is you can't make any mistakes. <laughs> the third one is cheat. cheat. And what I mean by cheat, yeah, always cheat. You have to cheat as a DM. That's why it's always behind the screen. Because if the player misses, <laughs> but it would be better if they hit, then they hit. And if the player hits, but it would be better if they misses, then they missed. Oh, we're not going to start this whole defu- <laughs> dice fudging, are we? Oh my gosh, we've had almost flame wars on our forums about this. Oh, it's yeah. great. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I would put everything in service to the story. Um, 
and uh, and rules are meant to be broken too. I very I play that way as well. I hate rules lawyers. If someone starts quoting yeah. rules to me, I immediately start dropping them into pits. <laughs> Wandering damage. Wandering occurs. damage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the idea also of uh, of the fact that somehow that like everyone gets a spotlight. Mm-hmm. Right, like make sure you're yeah. generous with your storytelling. I actually think would I would include some tables of just random generation stuff because oftentimes, so I go up to the shop call. What's he look like? And now all of a sudden you're like, I uh, see so roll some dice. Uh, red hair, forty years old, um, has one hand. There you go. Bam. Well, that's one we of have not to be shameless about this, but we have a Table Titans Dungeon Master screen that's going to be coming out with the book, mm-hmm. and on the back of it we have a random tavern name generator, a random NPC generator, um, a random encounter generator, random loot generator. That's where... I think tavern names and character names and... But character NPC types... Uh, are the are the toughest on the fly, and it really breaks the, the it really stops the story. You're like, oh, I walk up to the tavern. What's it called? And now the GM's just hemming and hawing and umming and ooing and looking around. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, I th- oh, good. I think that I think that it breaks the it breaks the veil of of the world that they're being and being real. Because if they're like, well, what's the name of this tavern? You go, uh, this. I'm like, all right, well, I could have named it then. But if someone goes, what's the name of this tavern? And you can just look down and look back up and go, Thirsty Hound? And they're like, really? And you're like, yeah, it's been around forever. <laughs> and, th- and then it's like, oh, shit, did you mean for me to find this? See, that's the trick as a DM, is to make every mistake seem planned. It really is, it makes you feel like a million bucks, and it gives you confidence, and it makes the players feel like, wow, this is a really real world we're playing in here. This guy, or this gal... You know, is really weaving a tail here. Got his shit together. So, anything you can do to encourage that is make every mistake pretty, pretty seem like it's planned. That's I'm putting that on a shirt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. My kids will love me for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would. Uh, one of one of the things I always try to remember, and it actually needs to be written on a screen for for me to do it, is. There are five senses. Mm. Don't just visually describe what's there. Describe how the place smells. Describe the sounds, the background noise that's going on. The yeah, chatter that's a good idea. Things like that. Nice. Let me give it more depth. Um, there was a, a comment on here. Uh, just wanted to thank Scott and Mike and Jerry for putting themselves out there when it comes to mental health issues. Episode of Surviving Creativity motivated me to schedule an appointment to go see a doctor. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I love hearing that. Do you want to talk a little about that? Yeah, I've suffered from crippling anxiety for years, and I didn't really realize how bad it was until um, it got solved for me. Um, now that I'm not suffering from it, it seems so dumb that I suffered with it for so long. But, um, yeah, really bad anxiety, always worrying, always feeling like I was going to die, just Every morning in the shower, just thinking about how many years does my dad have left? What if I die while Angie's at work? Just nonstop. Just uh, so much of my time was just taken up. Um, it's like I couldn't turn off my brain when it came to writing terrible scenarios, and it would just affect me physically like it had actually happened, and I was living through it, like someone actually did die or my dad did die. It was just a mess. 
I, and I had enough wherewithal to know that it wasn't real. I was bothered that I couldn't keep myself from being emotionally and physically affected by it. But it was affecting my work, and finally Corey said, uh, you have a doctor's appointment, and I'm going to come up from Portland, and we're going to go, and you're going to get on Lexapro or something, or medicine. And I have friends that have been on anxiety medication. Dylan and, and, and Mike and Jerry have all taken, um, taken it and said, it'll change your life, you know, go, go, go. And so I went in to the doctor and my blood pressure's through the roof. And she's like, yeah, you're having a panic attack right now. I think maybe we should get you on some medicine. And, uh, like two weeks later, it's just, I realized I wasn't doing it anymore. And it's just, you, you get your whole life back and no one really talks about it. No one, uh, it's not that no one believes it's real. I just don't know that when you're not experiencing it, that it's easy to wrap your head around what a person's going through. But it's very real, and you can get help, um, whether that's therapy or counseling or medicine. Um, you know, it does not hurt to go see a doctor about it. The problem with anxiety, at least for me, is um, the anxiety keeps you from going to the doctor because you can come up with a bunch of what-ifs when it comes to going to that doctor. So it's like a, those perfect parasites that keep itself alive. Anxiety keeps itself alive by making you too scared to do anything about it. And being uh, a cartoonist. I used, him, I, used, I used to call it my opponent. Mm. My opponent is very good at making me scared to do anything. So, yeah. Yeah, Lexapro's great. <laughs> it's awesome. I was going to say, being a cartoonist doesn't help because you spend a lot of time alone in a room in your own head. Yeah, that's all you do. Yeah, that's all you do. Yep. And, that, and everyone's like, well, you got to be crazy to create. No, you don't. I hate that misnomer. I agree. Um, you, don't have to, you don't have to be crazy to be good at creating things. People are like, oh, what's wrong with drugs, man? Every piece of music that you love was created on drugs. Fuck you. Shut up. They didn't need to be on drugs to create that music. And uh, the fact that they were speaks more to the lifestyle than, the, than a prerequisite of creating it. No, you don't have to be crazy. Um, the reason why um, rock stars are all on drugs is because once you become a rock star, uh, you're exposed to it and you have more money than you can deal with and there's probably a lot of weird stresses. Everybody's gives it to you. Like, fuck, yeah. fuck money. Yeah. People are like, I want to get yeah, in good with this cool is, rock star. Look, I brought you drugs. Yeah, I think it's the lifestyle more than, than, than a prerequisite. And the reason why all cartoonists seem crazy is because crazy people tend to be creative, I think. I just... <laughs> It's just the way our brains work. People that have brains that can write up stories are probably prone to having anxiety. I don't know. I'm sure you could do a study on it, but... Oh, it's uh, good Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I encourage everyone to go see a doctor. They're there to help. <laughs> and they, uh, these days, a lot, of, a lot of them really understand the mental health issues. I, I will say this, though. Um... <laughs> I know a lot of doctors are just so quick to just pass. Here, try this pill. So, um, you know, it's good to get a, a doctor recommendation and, and and sit down with them and, and, and you know, really tell them your problems and, and, and get some good suggestions. Uh, but, yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem talking about it. Um, well, it seems like your anxiety has gone, too, because here you are on a podcast in front of tens of people. <laughs> what's funny is that's never what got me I could go on stage in front of thousands of people that never scared me but I'd lay in bed staring at the ceiling and going 
I think I'm dying. I'm going to die. I think today's the day. And I, and it's like, why am I thinking this way? I hate that I'm thinking this way. But I just couldn't turn it off. Anyway, I'm so glad it's gone. <laughs> Hooray. Yeah, I'll read the next one. Um, Freaky Friday from Ryan. Greetings, buttholes. I don't know why we're buttholes. Because the douchebag has been used too much, I guess. No, I don't but know. I, well, can I be we're, another part of the... Use douchebags. Yeah, I don't want to be a butthole. You better get used to the potty humor. <sighs> I'm thinking about using an old sci-fi trope in my 5e campaign and doing a body switcheroo with two of the PCs that have been fighting a lot in the game. The tone of the game is a Saturday morning cartoon, so I think this will work well. I just don't know if I should make them switch character sheets when it happens or just let them keep their typical play styles. One of them is a warlock, and the other is a paladin. Thanks, guys. P.S. Any tips on running my first Dread game? Also, drink. I, all right, I'll drink. Yeah, here we go drinking. Um, I would have them change character sheets. Yeah, definitely. They have to know what they can do and can't do and... That whole thing. I mean, unless unless you don't want them to know that and figure it out. But if they've been adventuring together, they probably have some idea what the other person. No, can do. give them give them each other's character sheets, but they're all negative two on rolls because they don't really know how to work in this body. Oh, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. cool. I was thinking, like, change. Give them give them their their like uh, intelligence and wisdom. Of their original character, yeah. but oh. then give them all this physical stats. Oh, of, of yeah, that's really good that's idea. Good. I, again, I think that if you just switch sheets, they're going <clears> to <throat> play their characters like they did before. The paladin is still going to go, I jump ahead, and oh, I don't have my sword. Oh, no. I, it, hopefully, right. at least yeah. they're good players. Uh, that's actually kind of fun. That's mm-hmm. a great idea. It could be. Maybe I, like the be fact a that, I like the fact that, they don't, that the characters don't like each other. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. that's who you always that's switch. switch. Those sure, yeah. sure. It's, it's Felix and Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh wait, get- but there was a wait, wait. There's a, there's a second question. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, any first- tips on running my first dread game? Never played it. That's the one with the Jenga tower. <laughs> oh, it's the Jenga tower one. Mm-hmm. I've never played that either. Uh, like, learn how to fucking play Jenga. Then sturdy uh, table. I would I would say lots of super glue so that the Jenga tower doesn't actually <laughs> fall down. And then put a little X on the ones that aren't glued in. Right, I, I'm going to take a tip from Scott Kurtz. Cheat. <laughs> there you go. Well, don't cheat at all games. Well, hey! <laughs> so wait, so but because I haven't... So, but the Dread is the one where basically, as opposed to rolling dice, you play Jenga? Well, I think it's that's the sanity mechanic. Because it's, I think it's it's a horror game, ah. and I think when the gen, when the oh. tower falls, that's you've snapped. That's the sanity clause. That would be a that's awesome. That's, that's really smart. That'd be a short fucking game with some people. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Okay. Oh my god, I'm a going spider walks in the room. Oh fuck! <laughs> All right, you're dead. But I, I like that idea though. <clears throat> okay, beginner GM from Europe. Email from Gaz Jazz Gaz, Gaz the Dungeon Gaz. Master. All hail the Jackers of Happy. That's a that's a short for Gary, by the way. Is Gaz, it? Gaz is a European for Gary because really? I have a good How friend who's a Gary. That? I have a good friend who's a Gary, and he goes and he goes by Gaz. Unbelievable! It sounds like a great name for like an elf, like Gaz. Uh, this is an email from the beginner GM from Europe for a small group of three playing D and D five E. I love D&D since the first time I watched Penny Arcade play the game at PAX six years ago. I started playing as a character with a group of 4E, uh, but they found all the rules overwhelming, boring, and, well, not interested. And our GM wasn't very good. Still a great guy, but a crap GM. 
As a player, I love min-maxing a character and try to bend the rules to my benefit. You guys would probably hate me. <laughs> yeah. My addiction to D&D was getting to me, and I thought, well, fuck it. If I want to play, I'm going to DM. So I found a new group, started playing D&D 5e, because, well, the rules are more free-form in 4e, which is chucking dice at enemies and doing math to see numbers grow into bigger numbers and then into even bigger numbers. My players are great. They started out as a gnome warlock, a tiefling ranger, and an orc fighter, who I accidentally killed. A black dragon wormling isn't a suited accounter for three level <laughs> two characters. Whoops. Uh, he, he rolled a dragonborn paladin with some house rules. I like the whole tie-in with a dragonborn paladin. paladin after his first character was killed by a dragon. That's, That's right. nice. Uh, now I have two problems <laughs> I want your advice on. First of my problems are the encounters. I have the same thing Stu had with his hedge mage. Now, to, to sum up here, Stu had this wonderful hedge mage that goes, I'm no mere hedge mage! In which point, uh, well, Bill I, and all the other characters un- opened up on him. Right? I introduced an NPC, a, a villain, who was, a, I think, a fifth-level mage. So he got, And we're, like, level two. Maybe three. Or three at this point. But I got fi- he had fireball. And I was going to, like, <laughs> touch that off. And to wreck start us. The fight, to start the fight off. And the way the initiative order went, he ended up going last. <laughs> so he never actually got to do anything. No, well, but that was only the second issue. The right. first issue is you let us get war rhinos. Right. That was really the big problem. Because it's amazing how not even a fifth-level mage can stand up to a chest full of rhino. That's true. That was not yeah. good. Chest I'm, full of rhino. I'm no mere hedge. Oh, no, are those rhinos? <laughs> Uh, so to add with this hedge mage, either the bad guys are too fragile that if the players go first, they wreck shit. But if the big bad guy goes first, it will TPK because it does uh, it does like crazy damage. Now I'm stuck throwing groups of small guys into them because, well, I want it to be challenging, but not an almost TPK every session. I do have my big bad guy, and that is going to be a hard one. But the random encounters and minions are becoming really boring really fast. Second thing is my ranger player is an Eve player. If you don't know mm-hmm. it, it's a space flying game that is uh, called sp- Spreadsheet Online. Uh, I've tried playing it a couple of times because I you know, miss Traveler sometimes, and it really is a lot of calculating and a lot of tech trees. Beautiful character generator, though. And beautiful ships. Uh, yes. You go online and look at the ships. Gorgeous game. Really well designed. And it, they've spent a lot of time and money. It's actually, I think it's based in Finland, I think? Uh, like Sweden. Yeah. Okay, Sweden. Yep. And before every combat starts, his first question is, what do, I, what do I know of this beast slash monster slash thing? And the other players also start doing it. Now I do give him, like, the info if it's, uh, if it's his flavored, favored enemy, but what do I do with all the other ones? I could let them roll, but if they roll high, do I just tell them what it is? Or just rumors with certain monsters? Uh, just tell them that they don't know shit. Uh, hmm. Now I'm going to continue with creating the story about a cooperation between three evil powers, Orcus, Tiamat, and the King of Hell, and my players are in the middle of it. So what's uh, so that's going to be fun for them. Hope you can give me some advice. Kind regards, Gaz, the Dungeon Master. P.S. Love the actual plays, and at episode 13, all hail... Train of Urzog, Paladin of Grumsh, Hero of Chunderbog. God, it's, I, do <laughs> such a, I do such a great uh, drawing invitation, don't that's I? Right. It's amazing. Now drink! If you stab it right out. <laughs> yeah. um, 
So, you know, we used to have a rule back in the day when somebody had an encounter in the encounter degree, we would just describe the creature to them. We didn't tell them what it was. We didn't say it's a cobalt. We'd say it's a short little thing with a piggy snout, and that they would have yeah. a guess. So that they didn't say, you run into four cobalts, right? <laughs> so you would describe these creatures to them. Just do that. Don't tell them they run into four orcs. Tell them they run into these large humanoid creatures with pig-like faces. Yeah, or draw if you could if you had an artist draw a picture, or use the internet. But yeah, and steal yeah, someone's true. art and don't pay them for it. <laughs> oh, right? well, that's fine for the game. <laughs> yeah, don't uh, publish steal it, everything though. for the game. No, if you're going to play it, though, steal everything. Sure. One time, I took my players through an adventure that, at the end, they figured out was the movie Taken. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I based uh, I based I think one of my con games on Troll Hunter basically. There you where, go. Where Grendel exactly. escaped and ran around Boston. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a great movie. Yeah. So what what That's about uh, what about balancing an encounter? You want to have a big bad guy, but you have that problem with. Do, uh, have you figured that out yet? No. Yeah, I'm afraid to run combats because they're starting to get long. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. The crazy thing though is is. With any game like that, it also depends on what the dice decide to do that night. That's true. Because I, I had so Scott. The reason I read the Drang thing is because that was my character in Stu's campaign. But there was a story reason he moved out. I have another character in there who's also an orc, who's like a battlefield leader, um, mm-hmm. and he almost got killed by like a fucking elf miner with a pick because I could not roll. <laughs> To save my life, and I barely rolled yeah. to save my life. Really, Bill? Really? This, it sucks, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does. I was oh, like, yeah. "Look at my world!" I'm like, oh my god, it's stork-like. <laughs> um, and it would, but the, you never know, right? It's like that any given Sunday in football, anybody can beat anybody. You don't know what's going to happen. <coughs> and so I think, yeah, you, you never you, know. You kind of have to just say, "Look, this is what I think is going to be an interesting fight for the story." Sure. And if it is super challenging, that's great. And if it was a cakewalk, then throw something else at them fast before they have time to do a long rest. Or whatever. Or right? beef them up. You can beef up and down. You can scale up and down on the fly. Right. Sure. Or, or as Scott would say, cheat. <laughs> right? Like, and, I mean, and, that's, and there's, that is essentially what you're doing. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing also, there's nothing wrong with you're fighting and it's like, oh, holy shit, none of us can hit this fucking guy. And if they, when you finally kill him, it's okay to have, like, oh my god, he had some magic item. That yeah, was you have him making him way harder. Grow three sizes, and now he's harder to hit. Right, you know, and if you want, you and if you don't want to pass that power on to your players, right? Have it be where it only works for a certain race or a religion right. or Once something you kill else. Them, it shatters, yeah, or yeah, or some charges or something. Yeah, sure. Because if you if you start creating things on the fly, oh yeah, no, your min maxers. Your min-maxer is going to go, I, I noticed that in the first half of the game, uh, we were uh, hitting, or we weren't being able to hit, and uh, towards the second half yes. there, I was out, and I did the dice probabilities here, if you want to look at it. I think you were cheating. <laughs> you, fall, you fall into a pit of spikes. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do you feel about it? <clears throat> and the, the, what, I, what I would say about having the problem with the no-mirror hedge mage that ended up getting one-shotted and killed before he was able to actually do anything impressive we're still talking about that story today. Yeah, yep. I don't even consider it to have been a problem. It's not no. a fail. No, and it's and it's funny because the one then the next time the one time we did fight a mage who had fireball, 
mm-hmm. and hit us first. Same mage, same stats. Same, <laughs> right, right. Different guy, different name, but same stats. Right, uh-huh. right. <laughs> Repurposing, nice. Yeah. But when mm-hmm. that guy got higher in the initiative order, <laughs> yeah, that was real bad for us. Yes, it was. It was real bad for us. And we were higher level. Mm-hmm. So it was a fight you almost lost. Right. And I think part of that, interestingly, is because we were all a little cocky because we're like, oh, is this another mirror hedge mage? Fuck that. Whatever. Oh, God, that hurt a lot. <laughs> we're all really badly injured now. That's not good. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, even when, it, again, there's like make mistakes part of the plan, right? Like, so you, I think when it came back, it kind of bit us in the ass because the right. first one was so easy. No, and that is awesome. And there's nothing better than that visual. Like, I am no mere hedge maze. Trample, 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 bam, bam, bam. I mean, I mean, that's just so satisfying to players that that happens oh, now sure. and again. Because yeah. usually we get the snot beat out of us. What is a hedge mage? Oh, that's a term that from from GURPS. Hedge wizard. Hedge uh, yeah, mage. I think you call them a hedge wizard. And it was like basically a wizard, a wizard who probably only knows one spell and he doesn't know it very well. He's self-taught. He didn't go to some... I gotcha. Right. He's like a, he's like a piker. It's like a hedge cartoonist. Okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. I'm going to read the last one here. Uh, this is from Tomes. Tomes. Uh, I personally have an excellent... have had excellent experience with con games, especially Call of Cthulhu, where each player may have hidden agendas and backgrounds that may be of, in conflict and eagerly look forward to such games and the role-playing opportunities and tragedies they present. However, I can understand that the GM, that as GM, uh, you're playing with fire, in that the purpose of most PC parties is to work together towards some goal. You don't just want a bunch of murder hobos killing each other and then have half the party dead and upset at, after the first hour of the con game. Um, my claim to fame is a Lego-based Savage Worlds game at Strategicon. Oh, by the way, for for everybody who has never been to our Strategicon that we have out here, seen that Tomes does the most amazing shit with Legos. He runs the games, and then he'll say, and then you enter a tavern, and he pulls up a fully built tavern in Legos. <laughs> That's wow. awesome. And you go through it, and then you just go through a dungeon crawl. It's like, yeah, you enter the throne room. Boom, and then here comes the throne room. And he's all pre-built everything in Legos. And all your character figs are Lego minifigs. So it's like, it's phenomenal. Does he, does he carry, like, large cartons of this stuff already... I I think he's actually made of Legos, <laughs> and if he, he is short, he, 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 yeah, or poops Legos. <laughs> he's the polar opposite of Frey, who like gives you characters that he's gotten from vending machines, right? Yeah, <laughs> but the Lego stuff amazing. is amazing. Uh, uh, that said, what I think makes my recent Star Frontiers game memorable, separate from the awesome <laughs> Lego props and Star Frontiers, is twofold. On the one hand. The goal of the players is obvious, since we outwardly work for the same organization and there is a distress call that must be responded to. On the other hand, each player has hidden agendas that may or may not be in conflict. My personal opinion is that it has worked well because the PC goals often overlap and even when they conflict directly, it is only in their end goals, which really only comes up comes into play during the end of the game. Uh, even though that may result in a, in PvP action, at least this would be after 
everyone has had a good time for a few hours. I also spend a lot of time, a lot of time and effort trying to ensure that each PC has something interesting to work for, and none of them have information that would hold up the game for the other PCs, so it doesn't become some sort of information-holding stalemate. I'm curious mm-hmm. what your experiences, both positive and negative, you have in had in regards to hidden NPC agendas as either a player or as a GM. As a player, never figure them out. I'm in the middle of Stu's vampire game right now, and Stu has dropped a bunch of probably what he thinks are really obvious clues, and I have no idea what's going on. I cannot figure out those motivations no, at all. No, PCs with hidden agendas. Oh, never mind them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, GM with a hidden agenda is brutal. No, just NPCs with hidden agendas. Is, I thought, right, I thought yeah. is what it is. Well, that's a vampire. Any vampire. <laughs> I, like, I, I like PCs with hidden agendas. Um, I think many of them evolve during gameplay. It's mm-hmm. great if there's... I mean, with a con game, it's different in one shot. But when you're doing a campaign, I think those things tend to come up, right? And sometimes yeah. it, it can even be an agenda that's not so hidden, right? You, you see it through the, that character's actions, but you will even be surprised at how far they will go to maintain their agenda. I'm thinking very specifically of the 8th end of the eighth game section with trig when it was like wow holy shit everything's gone down really bad i don't know what's happening here i'm gonna make sure one of my party members isn't gonna die okay fuck it i'm out i'm leaving you guys stranded on the planet i'm sure you'll figure a way to get home and that so scott that was stork's character in the star wars game we're playing who was the twilic pilot and and he basically was like yeah i'm all about taking care of myself and making sure i don't get killed and stuff just went maybe really bad. I'm not sure. I, I'm out of here. Right. And, and everybody, just, everybody's uh, giving me crap. It's like, I managed, because it's me, I managed to roll a character in Traveler with absolutely no combat skills. I'm like, we're in a firefight. What am I doing here? I have no reason to be here. This is bad. This right. is really bad. And so when the firefight got done and they'd killed a Darth and it was all crazy shit, and they were, he was like, okay, well, uh, oh, look, everyone's way up there or way far away from me. <laughs> Except the guy who just passed out from his from his wounds. Yeah, I'm out. Later. Bye. Uh, but that was... I don't think that was a hidden agenda as much as in retro... I think no one... No one I don't know if anybody really thought you would leave. I think everybody was concerned you might leave. And it came up earlier in that session. Where, in fact, I think, Stu, you had like made sure to keep him in front of you at one point yes oh yeah and just before that too, right yeah. like i don't know i don't i'm this guy might bug out but i think that hidden agendas do come up and certainly there are, i've both gm'd and played in games where characters have had like this is a thing i'm trying to accomplish and i don't really need to tell everybody else about what that is mm-hmm. you know and i think the thing that's great about that is when it's not necessarily counterproductive or destructive to the group when that reveal happens, right? Like, I had a character in a Traveler campaign that Tappy ran, who was a, kind of air quotes, retired, um, basically, space Yakuza, right? It's again. And at, and his, so his whole body is tattooed with all these, basically, like, gangland tattoos for, for this, for these Yakuza. And I always wore, like, a big trench and this whole thing, whatever, and we went to this meeting, and they were like, we don't know how we're going to get 
in the door of this thing. And I'm like, I will handle it. And we get there, and basically, I just, like, take off my jacket and everything, and I've just got fucking, like, tattoos all over my guy, and they're all, oh, and they all move out of the way, because I was, like, a really high-ranking member, right? Yeah. And everyone else in the group is all, holy shit, what is that? <laughs> right? Because it was part of this agenda I had was to, was there was things I needed to do with my former organization. But it didn't hurt the party in any way. Mm-hmm. But it, but I had always doing tons of shit during the game that was all under the hood for them. But the fun part for me was that reveal of sure. doing that, and they were like, all, and all of a sudden the players are like, we thought we knew you. Who the fuck right. are you? Right, and I think yeah. that's a, a great moment for the player. It's a great moment for the game and for the story, right? And And during the whole... Not just the reveal, but everything that leads up to that and that hidden agenda is like just uh, we talk about it as a gift for the GM, mm-hmm. right? I yeah, love we were talking that. earlier about giving everyone a spotlight, and those hidden agendas help uh, the player manufacture their own spotlight moment too. And I think it helps the GM more than anything. All of a sudden, now the GM has another back thre- uh, thought line villains they can pull in. Uh, it's a whole other. It's, it's a rich resource. You know, I, I I ran. Uh, the Star Wars of Edge of Empire, uh, I think the actual play is up for the play test, but I ran it at the Nerd Strong Gym Minicon, and in that game, I built the characters so that there was conflict. There was char- there were characters who were more loyal to their boss than the other characters were. And in the play test, that never really came out much, but when, we, when I ran it at the con, the, 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 the paranoid player w- was playing the right character. Mm-hmm. So when they realize, you know, she is going to, they're working for a hut, a female hut, and she is going to double cross us and she's going to take us out because she can't have what we're doing ever be public knowledge. And there was two characters who were diametrically opposed on this. One of them is very loyal to her. And the, the end of the session, I'm talking the last five, ten minutes, was a lot of note passing back and forth between these characters, these two rivals, because one of them's trying to make sure that they don't double cross her, and the other one's trying to make sure that we can get away alive. And in the end, it was a gunfight between the two characters, and, and ended up ultimately in the death of one of them in the last like two minutes of the game, timed perfectly. Right. I mean, if that had happened in after hour one, one player is like, "Oh, I have nothing to do for the next three hours because the my character is now dead." But it, it happened to work out very well. Another thing that's great is you will find as a GM, your players will assume or assign hidden agendas to either other players or to NPCs. Mm-hmm. That is true. Right. Which, again, is in running a game, it's it's awesome. Right. And um, and I know um, Stu's talked about he's got he's got a, another podcast the gm briefing and we've been talking about like at some point i want to come on and, and talk about a lot of the star wars campaign right that stuff but one and, I, and everybody in the room knows this so it's fine i'm just giving away but we had a, a, a our most recent game i think it was or one of the most recent games where an event happened and basically a, a mandalorian gets away and gets taken off planet and in my head, I'm like, I didn't really necessarily figure out exactly what that was. And Stork says, it was, he goes, well, yeah, we're going to look up the ship registries. And they figured it out. I'm like, yeah, there's a couple of ships. He's like, one of them is Cure Starfalls, isn't it? 
right? <laughs> which, is, which is like this bad guy who, who's, well, well, I don't know he's a bad well, guy. You, but you said, you said there was a, what was it, a Y2, th- YT13? I was like, yeah, it was, yeah, which is like the most, like saying like it was a Toyota, right? right. It's like, and whatever. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, if that's the idiot's array. Yeah, if it's that ship. And I was like, and I'm like, yeah, it was. <laughs> it's and then, and the immediately every table's like, oh, son, son of, of a bitch. <laughs> right? And it's because they all in their heads have an agenda for what yeah. this guy is doing. Yeah. Right? And it's like, boy, that's that's such a that's such a nice little plus mm-hmm. for me because I hadn't figured out how he got off the planet. I'm like, oh, well, he got a ship. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll figure that out later. It was this guy, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, that dovetails lovely. lovely. Right. <laughs> such thank, a one- thank, thank you. Thank you, guys. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what son of a bitch. And now everybody's like, oh, we got to get that guy. There's that... There's that story I think I told you about Billy Joel, who was uh, struggling for a lyric or whatever, and he goes down to this cafe, this Italian cafe, and sits down there, and the waiter walks up and says, bottle of red, bottle of white, and he uh, looked up and uh, said, thank you, <laughs> wrote the song. Guys, I hate to do this to you, but I, had, I have a heart out. I got to split. Okay. Right. Dude, that is slightly inappropriate. And I, I don't know if uh, thank I have goodness. A hard out right. <laughs> thank now. goodness we are filming you as we do the PVP strip waist up at a table because <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, we're we're, all, we're wrapping up anyway. We're close. So yeah. It's all good. This thing's bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming on the show. Yes, Scott. Kurt. Thank you. Yeah, thank of you course. Much. Yeah, it was great. Anytime. Anytime. And, uh, um, yeah, careful. <laughs> careful. Yeah, oh, come on again. That's no problem. We should do a remote uh, from Seattle. Yeah. All right. That'd be cool. You're about to have a lot less time, though, dude. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. (laughs) Well, we could do it the next six months. It'll be fine. Do they still host uh, Phoenix Con up in the Northwest there in Portland or in Seattle? Maybe we can all go up there and meet up there. Uh, Emerald City Comic Con is the next show up here. That's the one. Hey, we'll, uh, maybe we, we should time it and we should come up because this would be on the other side of that. Uh, we should we should come up and do a live podcast at PAX. Maybe yeah, like a, totally. Do like a role playing session or something. Mm-hmm. That'd be a blast. Yeah. 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 We can get your cohorts. All right, guys. Up there All right, Scott, get All right, out of here. Thank before you, Scott. you get in trouble. <laughs> I'm not going to get in trouble, but I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you, man. I'll talk thank to you guys care. later. Yeah. Take care. Bye. I think I can. Yep, he's out. Okay. And that was Scott Kurtz. Look at that. That was awesome. It's great. Yeah, Yay, great. hooray, yeah. Scott. Yeah. He knows how to make an exit, I got to say. It's none of this whole, like, sappy goodbye crap. Oh, yeah, no, no. No, you guys are just like, hey, I got to go. So I got a heart out. Wow. Yep. Whoa. Heart out. Hey-oh. Hey-oh. All right. Well, we should call it. We're at two hours. So. That's good. That was good. Yeah. That was that was some pretty good emails. I like those. Ooh, I like that. And wasn't Tomes in your game? Is that the same as Tomer? Yeah, I believe so. Is it? No, maybe not. I don't know. I don't If it is, yes. You guys have to get uh, more played, distinct names. He played names. the Twilic that fucked everyone. No, that was me. No, no. <laughs> he played the Twilic that fucked everyone. Is that a Twilic thing? I that's a Twilic thing. I think it is. <laughs> I don't want to apply that as a racial stereotype. But. Well, because I know the, women, the female Twilics are famous for fucking everyone, but oh, in a different way. Hi-oh! All right, let's call it. Okay. Anything to plug or anything like that? Well, we should plug PvP Online. Right. Yes. So, for Scott and, and TableTitans.com. Uh, yeah, so go check out Scott's stuff if you're unfamiliar with it. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, he's a great artist. He's a great storyteller. Um, super funny, very relevant. Um, and and hope and hopefully, as everyone has seen after this, like a damn nice guy. Yeah, you know he's uh, so I like supporting nice guys and gals. And yet somehow you're still our friends. Yeah, somehow I don't know. <laughs> it's where it's the drugs. All right, I'm gonna call it. 
Thank you for joining us for season 15, 16, episode 1 of Happy Jacks Review Podcast. My name is Stu. Uh, this is Bill Freakin' Roper. <laughs> this is not Bill Freakin' Roper, but Stork instead. <laughs> and thank you very much to Scott Kurtz for joining us. Appreciate it very much. Yep. And uh, we'll see you next Friday at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Time. Join us live at happychecks.org. Back to Fridays. Live. We'll leave you with a song. In a keg of good beer Over barley and rye hops Noble in stature Our thoughts of divide Over which is most dear Be they lambics or luggers Or bitters of ox Or pilsners or porters Or meat sweet and clear Whether stouts of all vices Or rails round or pale It's the same to our takers Just bring us more beer For men of great strength There is no match for stout Samson his hair gave Atlas his might Even great Hercules with his twelve trials triumphant Found time in his journeys to toss back a pint Be they lambics or luggers or bitters or bots Or pilsners or porters or meat sweet and clear Or the stouts of all bisons or rails brown or pale It's the same to our takers, just bring us for beer After nights of long study I did ascertain That the thinking man's dream Find Lebecks from Spain Aristotle himself Took a bottle from the shelf To Socrates, Hippocrates And Plato's great, great brains Be they Lambics or Luggers Or Bitters or Box Or Pilsners or Porters Or Beats sweet and clear Or the stops of all license Or rails brown or pale It's the same to our takers Just bring us more beer Oh, the lover's elixir is mead Sweet as honey This formula followed Brings passion that grows a goblet of silver filled thrice on the hour Induces sweet slumber so she can say no Be they lambics or luggers or pitchers or box Or pilsners or porters or meat sweet and clear For the stops of all license or rails brown or pale It's the same to our takers, just bring us more beer Oh, the buck is renowned as a drink of good fortune It brings luck at games of skill and of chance with dice and a firkin, the intrepid gambler Comes home with a barrel, but no shirt or pants Be they lambics or luggers or bitters or box Or pilsners or porters or meat sweet and clear But the stops of all license or rails brown or pale It's the same to our takers, just bring us more lambics or luggers Or bitters or box or pilsners or porters or meat sweet and clear Where the stops of all bisons or rails brown or pale It's the same to our takers 
Just bring us more beer. The preceding program has been a presentation of the Angry Folk Media Empire. Bum, 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 bum.